is the West Side King's Church podcast, where we aim to encounter and embody the surprising grace of Jesus. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> Way to start a light. <laughs> yeah, let's just jump right into the deep end. I am very comfortable with the need to forgive people who sin against me. I am less comfortable admitting that I have sins that need forgiven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would you think that's probably where a lot of us find ourselves at this point in the prayer yes i i would tend to agree that that (laughs) that is maybe uh an area that we may overlook or or choose to kind of look away from because it's almost the bite point of the of the lord's prayer Mm. there's you know our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done like we we can get behind all that give us our daily bread i think if we pause on it has, you know, has a bite because I like my own self-sufficiency and I'm not entirely sure I'm wanting to always admit that God's responsible for my sustenance, mm-hmm. although he is. But at this point, it comes, it, it, it kind of really comes home to roost, doesn't it? That I have, uh, we maybe need to talk about what we mean by sin at some point, but but I need forgiveness. Let's yeah. just Let's just start there. And obviously this podcast series is taking us up to Easter. So that's almost the uncomfortable part of Easter as well, is it that this need, at some point, you know, on Good Friday, you stare at the cross and you reflect on what's going on. And and there is this kind of cognitive process of, if this was for me, Mm -hmm. maybe things were a little worse than I realized. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And I also think that we can get comfortable, maybe a little bit more comfortable with talking about we have sinned in the past, mm-hmm. um, but oftentimes our conversations get a little stickier, a little less comfortable when we're actually talking or, or confronting things that mm-hmm. we may have presently done. Mm-hmm. So we, and it, it, it tends to be something also that um, as pastors, you can kind of get into that language of past sin conversation yes. and, and sort of ignore um, what this part of the prayer is really mm-hmm. calling out and is that every day we have Mm. need for this prayer. I I think that's an interesting part. You know, if you think about the teaching series that we're running on Sundays at the moment uh, around some of the rote prayers Mm -hmm. uh, and evening prayer, uh, you know, Compline, they all have a confession of sin Mm -hmm. daily, you know, in them. So, So why is it that within the long tradition of the church, we need to confess our sins daily is is a question we should be asking ourselves, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and in in First John it says if um, if we say we have not sinned, we make uh, God a liar, and His word mm. is not in us. And then actually prior to that, in in one eight it says um, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Yeah. So we know it's there, <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe it is a good time to unpack what we mean when we talk about sin or mm. sins um and i think sometimes we get this uh, notion that sin is just you know these bad things that i mm. i do each day and, and um you and tyson did a podcast last year around this mm. time that i think was really great unpacking that mm-hmm. so people can go back and listen to that mm. um do you want to help us understand a little bit about mm. what we're talking about mm. when we talk about sin yeah, I, I think that 
a lot of the language of sin is made problematic because of how we approach it. I think you're definitely you're definitely right there that we we talk about sin. You, you see this actually quite often in in even how we navigate the conversation with young people, for example, that yeah. sin becomes a synonym, uh, no pun intended there, um, for mistake, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, you know, bad things that I've done. And I think we then almost dissolve God down into the petty. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember being involved in some Sunday school experience as a child, and you're being told that Jesus died on the cross because you know, you were mean to your sister right. or something like that. And uh, and I think that becomes kind of banal almost in terms of how we then, we think, well, if that's what, what's that all about? That yeah. seems ridiculous. The, the, the Like in Paul's letters, he seems to see sin as, there's almost two ways that he talks about sin. And the best way I can sort of think to describe it is that he seems to talk about sin, which I was writing it, it would be a capital S in singular sin. And he just, whenever he talks about sin in that context, he he seems to talk about this, this kind of force of evil, this mm-hmm. anti-God power that is destroying or attempting to destroy God's creation. Uh, Paul's take on it is that it will not. And, uh, and, but that's what Jesus comes forcefully to oppose in, yes. in, in Paul's mind. He comes to stand against this power of sin, you might, you might even call it. Why does Jesus die on the cross? Because the, the God revealed to us in Christ, who is also the creator of the world, does not want his world and his creation destroyed by sin. Yeah. Um, one, of, one of the things we then can think about is what is the impact of sin on humans, and I think this is where you can talk about sins, lowercase s, yeah. in the plural. This is pulling your sister's hair and robbing banks, and you know, uh, and there's no, there's no kind of definition in the scriptures at some level of ranking these. Although clearly different ones require different recompense, right? So right. pulling someone's hair, robbing a bank, you know, require different things to put them right. Uh, they all, in the, in Paul's take, are just evidence of the power of sin at work in the world. Mm-hmm. So they're they are the result of the cause. So sin, the power of sin, causes humans to do sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we mistake often is that that Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. I think Jesus dies on the cross to destroy sin, right. and then we find a merciful God who forgives us our sins mm-hmm. because that's His nature, right? We see that in the cross that He wants to take on sin. We understand through Scripture that that sins are the result of our brokenness, and now that doesn't sins being the result of our brokenness doesn't absolve us of guilt. It's not like well, there's nothing I could do about it. But what I think you see when you look at it this way is that God has, from the beginning in the Bible, right the way through to the New Testament, has been forgiving sins, mm-hmm. right? And doing it well. God has yeah. always been merciful, always been graceful, always being, uh, you know, forgiving. Uh, I think Hebrews, if you were to sit and just read Hebrews from cover to cover, is almost one of the best takes on this because Hebrews points out the problem with the forgiving of sins is that we keep getting into trouble again and we keep finding right. ourselves there. So at some point, somebody has to deal with the cause, yeah. not just with the result. And that's where Jesus on the cross deals with deals with sin. So that's kind of how I have found it helpful to talk about that over yeah. the years. So when we're coming, and it even maybe helps us as Christians to go, if Jesus died on the cross for sin, why are we still needing forgiveness of sins? Uh, this is... 
this is we're talking about two slightly different levels of, of things right. um there's other stuff we could say about that but yeah <laughs> but let me pause for a second and uh, uh wh- how does that work for you like what yeah is that? i i've been reading um fleming rutledge's book mm. crucifixion i think great time of year to pick yes, up that book absolutely. i think you're mentioning that it's uh uh, on Kindle right now for for not too much. Yeah, there's so. an ebook sale going on, so you can buy it for about ten dollars. So that's a might really be, good deal for that book. <laughs> might be if you're an ebook reader, might be your time. <laughs> yeah, um, and and you know she talks about relational brokenness and mm. how um, the impact of sin shows up in our relationships, in mm. in our relationships with each other, with God, in all sorts of ways. And, and then she says that if we're going to talk about this, like the sins, so as mm. in these bad things that we do, and she says, I'm not even so convinced we should be talking a lot about this, but, mm-hmm. but when we do talk about this, we need to understand it as the consequences of sin, mm-hmm. um, and, and what is, and, and not the cause. Right. And yes. so that, I think that makes a really clear distinction of mm-hmm. what we experience as these bad things that we do, that we mm-hmm. tend to carry a lot of guilt over. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it doesn't mean that that doesn't need to be addressed, but, um, that it's a con it's a consequence. It, it is a yes. result of this larger case sin yes. that we, that we were talking about, um, that has infiltrated our relationships and, and created brokenness. The, I mean, Rutledge's chapter in the crucifixion, I think it's a chapter called the gravity of sin is like a brilliant reading in my opinion. Mm. Now, full disclosure, I, a, a lot of my sort of theological shaping around this comes from a scholar who, who I learned from and, and, and Rutledge also was, was taught by at different stages of their career. Right. Uh, admittedly, there's a, as, as, as uh, I actually had a conversation with Fleming Rutledge about this once, and uh, I pointed out that we'd shared uh, we'd shared influences, and she said yes, but with a lot of years in between. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but uh, but I, if if the, what we were saying just there about you know uppercase s sin versus lowercase sins, if you're like, oh, I'm interested to understand it a bit more, that chapter that you're talking about mm-hmm. in, in Rutledge's Crucifixion would be a really good place to go, because it's not always how you hear sin talked about. Yeah. I think it's important to add at that point, just to what you've said as well, is that, and this is the sort of thing I have to say carefully, uh, and and uh, you know invite you not to hear what I'm not saying, but I also affirm what Fleming Rutledge says about if we do talk about sins, and we should, but maybe not much, it's because if there is a problem with sins, the problem is with us and not with God, mm-hmm. right? So, so what is God's response, response to sin? We know the answer. It's very, very clear. That's the cross. God mm-hmm. has dealt with sin, right? So God has dealt with the root cause of the problem. We are currently in a stage of history where essentially the last powers of sin are 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 in are in are fighting in the world. Right. Bear in mind, in, in the way that we're painting the story here we're painting a picture of a cosmic battle at some sort. You know, it's, we've used language of powers of evil, anti-God powers. So you might find yourself, uh, I'm, I'm quoting Tom Wright here, but you, you might find yourself going, well, if Jesus died on the cross to defeat the powers of sin, why does it feel like the world is getting worse, not better? Right. Uh, and Wright's example is, if you watch throughout what we can, if you use a metaphor from history, uh, powers of evil generally get more barbaric towards the end than they do at the beginning. As they realize they're losing power, everything mm-hmm. gets a little bit worse. But the New Testament is adamant. 
we know what God has done in Christ, and we know that this will come to an end. So in a, in a weird way, what we're seeing in the world now is almost evidence of, of that of that sort of cosmic sort of sense that's going on. But I think that we make too much of sin uh, in that, which sounds like such a strange thing to say, because ultimately what is wrong with the world? Well, sin is wrong with the world. And now also in the same breath, I'm going to say, but we make too much of it. And what I mean by that is a lot of our relationship to sin is, is excluding that, Mm -hmm. well, Oh, I can't, you know, I mean, as pastors, we hear it all the time. Oh, I'm not, good enough to do this or i if you knew what i'd done you wouldn't ever invite me to come to your church Uh, you know i can't take on this particular responsibility because of Mm -hmm. your sin our perception of the impact of sin is often significantly higher so the new testament does this phenomenal thing where it's like sin is very serious and also dealt with Mm -hmm. which is why it just gets a line forgive us our sins as we have forgiven others right you know it's not actually there's a big deal, I and mean, we're talking a lot about it here, but it's also it's also held in its proper place that because of Christ, sin can be talked about seriously, but simply, yes. if that makes sense. Yeah, and and on that, you know, this line we can say is about sin, but it also the big words in this this particular prayer is forgive, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, forgive us, and as we forgive those, right? Yeah, and um, so we've kind of talked a bit about sin, but Mm. I also know that we want to talk about forgiveness and kind of what that means um, and how we can, how we can understand that. Uh, You and I have been talking, there's been um, a little bit in, in the media um, around this idea of forgiveness um, mm. seems to be sort of the the hot topic. Are you are you talking about the Oscars? Yeah. Perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I <laughs> I think I think it's interesting, you, you know, watching this scene in the Oscars this past weekend. You know, Chris Rock, you know, m- makes a joke at the expense of Jada Pinkett mm-hmm. Smith. Will Smith slaps Chris Rock. And then the whole world decides to pass comment on it, mm-hmm. and, uh, which I don't want to do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't. Yeah, I, th- I think there's so much complexity in understanding. I, you know, I, I'm very aware of the fact that even just as uh, there, there's race uh, complexities yeah. in there, there's there's all sorts. Of, you know, I'm a man. There's there's a whole question about the role of a husband and his wife and yeah. you know i mean goodness me there's it's a complex. there's a very complex and people way more qualified and and uh, equipped to talk about that F- for me what's interesting is how the story plays out a consistent narrative of judgmentalism mm. right that that something happened it had the misfortune to happen on television it's probably the sort of thing that happens quite regularly in the world. Somebody right. insults somebody and somebody gets a slap in the face. Like this is, you know, I mean, if Jesus alludes to the fact that there are times that people slap you in the face. Well, right? yeah. So, well, And I even think, you know, on the playground, right? Yes. Like that kind of stuff yes. that's been happening since probably, you know, yes. our beginning memories of, <laughs> of social interaction. Yes, apparently. It's basic. Yes, know? very basic. And, uh, um, but for me, what's interesting is is our comp- the sense in which we're complicit in it all. Mm. Right? So what I see is a constant narrative of something. We put cameras on people all day long, yeah. and then they fail to be perfect, and then we jump in and start to criticize. Uh, and there's this, it, it goes back to almost how I opened our 
our podcast today, which is I'm okay with the fact that other people do stuff that I need to forgive them of, but mm-hmm. I'm less willing to take the forgiveness in my own in my own situation. You, you know what I mean by that? So I find, I was watching just even last night, there was beginnings of some comments of, you know, well, maybe the Oscar committee are going to ask, you know, Will for a formal apology or... And I find myself thinking, when are they going to apologize? Right. You know, I, I, I will speak about that. You know, they hosted a show and employed a man to come on and insult people. Right? And we know that's what they did because it's been happening for the last yeah. several years that this is their form. And it finally blew up on them. And, and we watch it. Mm-hmm. You know, we turn on and watch it. And the reason they do it is because viewing figures keep going up and, and people. So we're all it's easy to step back now and go, oh my goodness, I think this about what Will did or what Chris did. But we were watching and we were, and we were even commenting on it. Now we're creating media around it. And I think we need forgiveness, Yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense. I, yeah. mean, I mean, does that resonate with you? No, I think it's uh, such a fantastic point. You know, mm. it's almost like we've been complicit in a culture that's perpetuated, mm. um, just the you know verbal attacking mm-hmm. and and we enjoy it and like you said it mm-hmm. keeps happening and it almost continues to up and up and up mm-hmm. every year right yeah. it's like the the jokes need to get more cutting the yes. jokes need to go deeper they yes. need to be more outrageous um in order to keep viewership and mm-hmm. and they find people who can deliver that because mm-hmm. that's essentially what we've asked for mm-hmm. um and i agree with you i think that it's a good opportunity for a step back and for us to go whoa Mm. where where have i contributed to this Mm. you know in the oscars but then also just broadly as a culture like i think the reason why social media um is is so addictive is because we really Mm. search for these ways where to be honest where we can put ourselves sort of above other people Mm. where we can say Mm. well i wouldn't have done that like that Mm. or i can provide commentary on how I in some way could be better than that. Um, and in, in reality, like, uh, are we? Right? Yes. What yeah. have I done in my day, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, I might not have you know, said that kind of joke or I might not have slapped somebody in the face, but how have I injured somebody? Mm-hmm. How, have, how have my words mm-hmm. been um, used to tear somebody down and not yes. build them up? Well, there's this, there's this line, isn't there, in, in Wesley's, uh, Wesley Hill's book on the Lord's Prayer, uh, let me just find it right now, where he quotes Francis Spufford, um, or Spufford, I'm never quite sure how to entirely uh, say that, and he's British, so mm-hmm. I, I, apparently I'm supposed to know how to say it. But Spufford's book, Unapologetic, the subtitle's fantastic, Why Despite Everything Christianity Can Still Make Surprising Emotional Sense, right? <laughs> but I don't know if you read that book, but Unapologetic's no, worth, worth the time. But he reminds us of a section in this where he says... Uh, he he does a couple of things. He, he alludes to the rote prayer that is said in many traditions prior to um, Eucharist, which is, we have not loved you with our whole heart. Mm. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry, sorry and we humbly repent. I mean, there's a really powerful mm-hmm. sentence there. Um, and and let, me just, let me just read this section, actually, because he says this, once you adopt this deeper and darker view of human corruption, it becomes harder to hold on to any religious pride. And I think you could even just say, pride there (laughs) you know and by the same token harder to look down on others as somehow worse off than yourself again you know we've all passed comment 
in our own head about what Will Smith did. But then there's some people who are out there going, hmm, but what, would I have done anything different myself? And perhaps that's the, the human problem, mm -hmm. isn't it? And Wesley Hill continues, we're circling around the Christian doctrine of original sin, vividly described by Francis Spufford as the conviction that committing actual murder is in the same family of actions as telling a story at a dinner party at the expense of an absent mutual friend, a story which you know will cause pain when it get back to the, gets back to them, but you tell it anyway mm. because it's very, very funny. Mm. One of these things may take a life, the other may take a piece of a soul, but both are motivated by a certain self-pleasing smirk. And in that way, both are devastating to both perpetrator and victim. It's that which we're praying God to release us from when we ask us, forgive us our sins. I mean... <laughs> okay, we'll just end the podcast there. Yeah, yeah. We'll all just go and think about that for a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's deep, isn't it? Yeah. It's really deep. And and I think that's, that's why I love to go back to Fleming Rutledge's piece, that, that sin is relational dysfunction, yeah. right? And it creates brokenness, it adds burdens. Um, the, the, the language of forgiveness in, in, in the New Testament is, is the sort of language of, of releasing. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, uh, it, it's to sort of let go, to, to dismiss. And, and I, was, I was just looking at it, just even just in, in the lexicon just now, you're, you're looking at some of the language that this word is used to mean throughout the New Testament is, is to send away, to dismiss, uh, to, but I love this, to expire right? Mm -hmm. um, like that, that, to pardon, to, you know, all this sort of language, you know, but I love that idea of, of letting it expire. You yeah. have done something to me and I'm going to hold on to that. And at some point this prayer says, well, what if I just let that go? Yeah. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I think what you did was right. Uh, it doesn't mean that I think, you know, there's not something needs to be fixed, but it's, I'm not going to hold on to it any longer yeah i think this is a good point to really t kind of settle into the pastoral talk about forgiveness because mm. i think there's a lot of anxiety that comes up around forgiveness and mm. and how quickly we forgive or don't and and i think there's actually a lot of shame that then can come into yes. um this conversation um where we feel bad. We know we should be forgiving. Mm. We know God's forgiven us, but there's this thing and it just feels so big and it is, you know, perhaps traumatized us in a way mm. and how it can feel this expectation to just forgive mm -hmm. because we can just throw it around, right? That mm -hmm. word as if though it's just that easy, yes. um, as if though it's not actual transformation, it's just something we decide and magically mm. happens. And I know that people can carry, you know, just such guilt around that and, and shame, um, mm. which of course we know shame fractures yes. intimacy. So, so that's not great for when no. you, when you're going to God and you're praying um, and, and you feel this, sh this cloud of shame mm. over, you know, being unable to get to a place where you can say you forgive someone. Um, and so something that I, um, when I was doing some reading, um, talked about, uh, God's provenient love. Um, and so I love this 
part of the prayer where it says, you know, God's forgiven us. Mm. And so then we are to forgive. And it talks about um, God going before us, that which is mm. what prevenient means. It's God's mm. going first, right? Yes. God, um, there's something that happens in, in within forgiveness mm. as we pray to God um, that works and transforms in our heart that allows us mm -hmm. to get to a point where we can forgive. Yes. And so I love this idea of journey and oftentimes, you know, talking with people, we'll, we'll talk about that. It, it, like God is patient and, mm. and, and to just say you forgive someone because that's what we should be saying. It, mm. it isn't a heart transformation mm. in that, mm. but that we can take a journey that we're invited into something that God has done yes. first and that it's always our response. Mm to what God has already done. Yes. I am um, just responding to a couple of things you've said there, Kristen. I was reminded just as you were um, speaking of uh, Scott Erickson and Justin Roberts' book, uh, May It Be So, mm -hmm. which is um, 40 Days with the Lord's Prayer. And it's a, it's a book of, of just very short prayers, like literally one line long prayers yeah. and art that just allows you to reflect on the various pieces of the Lord's Prayer. It's called May It Be So. Some people might really like it. But uh, it, around the section of this line that we're talking about, he has this one prayer, uh, prayer 33, just may I allow guilt to convict me without letting shame define me, right. uh, which which I find really like a lovely prayer off what you've just said about how we, we sometimes get framed by this. And I think that there's, I, I come into every podcast recording and I think to myself, okay, I'm gonna try really hard not just always talk about Karl Barth and then I <laughs> fail. Um, Barth tells a story about, um, this idea of the prevenient sense of God's grace to us, mm -hmm. uh, wherein uh, he imagines, Bart's writing in the 30s, I think, at this point, and he imagines a man riding his horse through the through the forest in the winter in, in Germany and uh, or Switzerland, perhaps, depending on where Bart is at the point of his writing. And, and at some point in the guy's journey, he realizes, you know, I have, I have to be careful because I know there's a lake here somewhere, uh, and I think the ice is thin, and therefore... I, I need to just be conscious of that. And then he realizes, oh, I've already crossed the lake. Mm -hmm. And unbeknownst to him, he had crossed this lake. And now that he's crossed it, he all of a sudden has all the panic of, oh, right. oh my goodness. I, I was like, that was deeply terrifying. But it wasn't terrifying. At the time he was crossing the lake, he had no mm -hmm. idea. And Bart says, God's a little like that, that we become aware of our sin and aware of the fact that, oh my goodness, like things are bad, you know, and I need to do something about it. And at the moment that we discover that things are bad, we also simultaneously discover, well, actually, Bart would say, think very carefully about how have you discovered these things are bad? Well, you've discovered they were bad because Jesus told you you were forgiven. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he told you you were forgiven. And your first question was, even if cognitively we're not always conscious of this, your first question was, what, what did I do wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so this think about the mercy and the safety of that from God, that you only actually become aware that you were in danger at the, pro at the moment you become aware that you're not in danger anymore. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea that, you know, forgive us our sins, you know, that actually we're asking that, but it is already done for us. Mm -hmm. We are becoming aware of it ourselves and becoming aware of it allows us to start to do the relationship rebuilding but the but the impact and the cost of that is is taken from us, which which I think is beautiful imagery. Like I really find it, uh, you know, 
somebody even that's known about this for a long time, I still find it fresh every mm-hmm. time I talk about it that, that, to think what we're released from. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I like how you talked a bit about uh, sort of restoration of relationship, mm. right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that is what God is doing in the world, right? Yeah. That is what has been done, um, yeah. is this restoring. And, um, you know, I think about even just going back to our conversation about the Oscars and what happened and you know, whether this person should apologize and there should be forgiveness here, mm. who who's at fault and, and, and punishment. And mm. we always want to bring punishment kind of yes. into the conversation. Yes. And I, something I've been thinking about lately is just how our view of justice, mm. even it, it, what does it look f- like for God to be a just God? Mm. Um, we we have these views um that become distorted and what Mm. justice actually looks like and we can you know we we tend to want punishment we tend Mm. to want to see someone see someone pay um uh, that we actually um um that within the american north american justice system right that is really shaped i think the way that we have then mapped onto god how we view god well if this is justice this is how we um we give out justice in the world by locking people up by giving them punishment by us seeing that Mm. that something's been done to them and somehow that corrects in our mind um that things are right because we've seen somebody actually pay Mm -hmm. um and how that's just not God's justice. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and to be a little political for a second, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't. Our justice systems are thoroughly broken. Yeah. And I think that that shouldn't surprise us as Christians. You know, I, I like even I hear people sometimes go, you know, and these prisoners, like they have televisions in their cells. Like, and you realize, oh, wait a minute. We're not even happy that these people are removed from society yeah. for 10 years. We want them suffering for 10 Absolutely. years. It's something very deeply broken in yeah. us, isn't there? And I think we would, honestly, I think sometimes we want to God to be that way too. Yes. yes. We wish. Towards others. Towards uh, Not to draw towards <laughs> us. <laughs> We're quite happy with yeah. the grace. We're quite happy yeah. with the forgiveness. But we sometimes like a little too mm. much to envision, well, well, because this is how we've enacted justice, quote unquote, mm. which isn't really justice in our yeah. society. This is how else I want God to make them pay. Yes. Yeah. There's a story. Um, there's a story of a, of a judge. I think it's during the Depression in the, in the U.S. And he was a very high ranking judge. Um, and I should have prepped for this story because it's just coming to memory. He was quite a high-ranking judge who had insomnia. And so what he used to do, I think he was in New York, he, he used to go down in the evenings when he couldn't sleep and just try and clear the sort of docket of some of the just the minor misdemeanors that were going on. Mm-hmm. So you had this high-ranking du- judge just sat, sat in a kind of local court just dealing with you know petty fines and things mm-hmm. like this. And there's a story that he meets this woman uh, who is in the dock for theft. And he says, like, what is the, um, what's the crime? And it's that she stole bread. It sounds a bit Les Miserables for yeah. a second. But, uh, and, and he says, well, why did you steal this bread? And she explains that she had no money, uh, the depression was hitting her particularly hard, and that she had to steal bread to feed her family. Mm-hmm. And so, so the judge fined her. He says, I'm going to fine you for stealing because we can't have a city where people are stealing. Um, 
But then he find, so he find the lady for stealing and then find everyone in the courtroom. Uh, so he find everyone in the courtroom some pennies, right? Made them all pay in order to get out and basically found the courtroom guilty of living in a city that required a woman to steal bread mm. for her child. He then took all the money of the fines, paid the woman's fine with mm -hmm. that money and then gave her the rest to go and buy her bread. Um, and I, I love that story mm -hmm. because I think it tells us, I, I'm going to try and blend politics with theology for a second, but, but how should we deal with our justice system? Yeah. Well, what does the cross teach us about that? Somebody has wronged somebody else and somebody's got to pay. Actually, at some level, there's even a sense that, that the one metaphorically way of reading the cross is that that's true. That, that, that there is a cost to sin. What's deeply controversial about the gospel is that the wrong person absorbs the cost. Mm -hmm. um, so is the cross a model for how we should live as Christians? So are, when somebody ends up in jail or prison, are we brave enough to ask the question, how have we failed? Right? Mm -hmm. you, know, you think of that, that confession, you know, forgive us for, what, for our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, and for what we have left undone. Yeah. You know, what have we, uh, I was thinking, going back to this book by Scott Erickson, you know, look at this, saying I forgive you means you will not allow your hurt to define our relationship. Instead, you're offering me freedom from the rightful consequences of my actions, which means I forgive you comes at a cost. You give up your right to extract a payment from me in exchange for having hurt you. This is why relationships are often richer and deeper after an apology is met with forgiveness, because the parties involved have said, in effect, you are worth more to me than what it costs me to be your friend. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I kind of think that that's what we're doing when we say, forgive us as we mm -hmm. forgive others. There's this beautiful sense that they're all tied together. Okay. I, I actually know that I'm getting, the thing I'm confident of is that God will forgive me. Mm -hmm. What I'm less confident of is that I'm going to forgive others. And I love the way the Lord's Prayer ties them both together. Not causally. So it's not like, well, God's not going to forgive you if you don't forgive others. But there's this deep sense of, hey, you know, these two things are are connected. One of them is modeling the other. It's showing us the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I also, you know, the fact that we come back to, you know, if we're praying this every day, we come back to it every day, sort of that recognition that we all need to be reminded of. You know, so you think of the courtroom, we all have these blind spots. Mm. And so when, you know, in a way we're asking God to show us mm. these areas of our lives, we might not see those people in that courtroom would have probably never thought that they would be complicit in a lady mm. not being able to get bread for her child, right? That's yes. her problem. Yeah. Uh, an audience at the Oscars doesn't think they're mm. complicit mm. Um, or, or at home watching doesn't, we don't think we're complicit mm. in perpetuating you know, a culture of like verbal violence against mm. people and assault. Um, and so this prayer asks us to look at those sp spots in our life that mm. we don't necessarily want to see, mm. um, or they're just easy to kind of hide in the shadows, mm. I think. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really, a really good place, perhaps even to leave this conversation, just to sort of pause it there and, and, and ask 
ourselves that question mm-hmm. of, of, okay, I, I know I'm forgiven by God. I know I'm called to forgive others, but what for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's almost the question you feel like you're asking, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, am I really reflecting? And the beautiful thing is about the forgiveness that comes from God is I don't reflect in guilt and I don't reflect mm-hmm. in, in shame. That to me seems to be a really broken way to understand the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. It's it's about rebuilding relationship with with the world, with our neighbor, with God, that that isn't rooted in in guilt and shame, but is rooted in a pursuit of wholeness, a pursuit of of God's shalom, isn't it? That all mm-hmm. these things are coming. So maybe we leave it there and gear up for next week, where we just take on the equally light, uh, <laughs> save us from the time of trial. Right. <laughs>